0: pushing through roof because we're, we're into the final chapter really chapter four I'm pretty sure yep <laughs> I knew I was right and I, I want to keep unpacking for us what it looks like to be a family in our homes what it looks like to be a family in our in our church home because I think that's the key to church you know I don't I don't think to, the key for church family and congregations I, I don't think it's I don't think it's the different teams that you you have on that, you know, I don't think it's about your greeters and your people that are are connecting with visitors. I I mean, all of those things are good, but I, I think it's a sense of doing family. If we can become an organic group of people that regardless of our size, we keep growing organically, I just think that's how the early church started. You know, they didn't have, hey, you guys are the connect team. So when someone walks in, you make sure you say hello when they're within three metres and make sure you get their details within a week and a half and make sure you go out for coffee within two weeks and make sure within, you know, a month they're in a, in a Bible study and within two months they're... Sur- the early just didn't do that. They just did family. And, and that means some of us have got to get off our behinds and be family. I'm not suggesting anyone's not. This is solely commentary, not criticism. But I just think if we can nail this, yeah, I believe other churches will come and learn from us. Yeah, I have conversations with bigger churches now that have got more people and are doing it well, and and they share things like, "I wish we had the heart of your church." So, I, I think we're tapping into. For me, something that, and, and other places that are similar to us, we're tapping into the heart of God for, for this season. So let's keep growing in family and keep growing, looking at, at Ruth. Um, that sense that I had this morning, you know, to shake off the stuff from the week, to allow Holy Spirit to come and fill us, uh, I remember saying last week that before revival comes, the tide has to go out. You know, that means sometimes in life, Needs to, needs to be the stuff in us, some of that has to go out before God can fill us. You know, for revival to come, the tide has to go out. And just a thought. But I've got a quote to kick off with. I've quoted this guy twice over the last couple of weeks. And so I'm going to share his quote, and I'm going to pray and we'll get straight into it because of time. Um, but it's Warren well Wesby And in relation to Ruth chapter 4, he, he notes it this way. He goes, it's a chapter in which Boaz and Ruth get married. Naomi finds her empty heart full of joy. Yeah, there's that word again. And her empty hands full of a baby boy. Yeah. In other words, things turned out all right at the end. Didn't start off that way. But what, chapter 4? or at least by the end of chapter 4, they did. So, Father, just have your way in this place today. May you bless us, encourage us, change us, rearrange us, stretch us, Lord, if you need to. Prune us if you have to. But, Lord God, ultimately, we just say we're yours and uh, we want to be more like your son, Jesus. So have your way in this place and in us, in Jesus' name. Everybody, yeah, amen. So Ruth, chapter four, verse one to twenty-two. Again, long reading, but uh, it's just important to garner some of this stuff. So meanwhile, Boaz and Ruth, um, Boaz went up to the town gate where Ruth came from. I don't know it, it, that verse; it's not there. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, "Come over here, my friend, and sit down." So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. For me, he's, he's, he's wanting to make things really clear, yeah? Then he said to the guardian of demon Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Elimelech, 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 Elimelech. Elimelech. "'I thought I should bring the matter to your attention "'and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here "'and in the presence of the elders of my people. "'If you will redeem it, do so. "'But if you will not, tell me so I will know. "'For no one has the right to do it except you, "'and I am next in line. "'I will redeem it,' he said. Then Boaz said, "'On the day you buy the land from Naomi,' You also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalising transactions in Israel. (laughs) Can you imagine going to buy a coffee or doing something, you're signing a contract, and you take off not a shoe covered, sandal, dust, toe jam, yuck, sharing that. Like... Hey, aren't you glad that, look, for us today, we live in this century where yeah, <laughs> we're not sharing sandals? That would just be gross. And it'd be like someone sharing a croc. Yeah, oh, I know, disgusting, aren't they? Yeah, uh, yeah for all those that wear crocs, you heard it from the people live. Anyway. <laughs> Verse 8, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kirion and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, like Malon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are your witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Now this is a blessing, isn't it? Like, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah, something like that. Yeah, that place. And be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be, be like that of Perez, whom Tomah bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He made love to her that the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter in law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Naomi took this child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. What a strange name. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This thing is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz. Boaz the father of Obed. Obed the father of Jesse. And Jesse the father of David. Wow. Does anyone have a favourite verse? Yeah? Anyone have your favourite verse hanging up at home or, yeah, or on your phone? Some people put their favourite verse on their screensavers, on their computers and stuff like that. But you know what I've never noticed in my 32 years of being a believer? I have never ever noticed verse 22 hanging on anyone's wall. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. I've never seen that verse hanging on anyone's wall, ever. I've never seen it on anyone's phone. I haven't seen it on anyone's computer um, screen. I just haven't seen it. And yet, I want to suggest that this, to me, has to be one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. Because this verse, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. We know that Jesus comes from the lineage of David. Yeah, This This verse alone is telling us that God brings it all together. That he actually finishes, even though in chapter 1 it wasn't even a considered thought, but that he finishes everything that he starts. I I, I love it. And so often we want God to move so fast, don't we? We want our prayers answered now. Like, who gets frustrated when you get to a drive-thru and there's more than one car in front of you, and then there's a hold-up. You've had kids in your car when there's a hold-up? Well, it's taking them so long. They're so just going to give you some food. I know, I know, I know. Well, can't you hurry them up? I wish I could. You know, like, I really wish... Like, we want stuff straight away. You go to watch something on TV, now we stream stuff, and then you see the little buffering wheel going you know, while it's downloading or doing something, it only takes five or ten seconds. But in your head, don't you think, oh, what's going on now? Because it's not there like that. We're, just, we're in a society that wants things now. But sometimes when it comes to God, it can take 50 to 100 years. It can be 100 years after you've even thought of it, prayed for it, wanted it, decided it, anything at all. You know, David comes 100 years. After this story. A hundred years. And Jesus comes about a thousand years after that. But in all of that, God fulfills his promises. Amen? Yeah? Uh, this is for some of us today. <laughs> I'm telling you, because some of us get so frustrated with where we're at and prophetic words that haven't come to pass that we've forgotten how to wait on the Lord. Yeah? Yeah? You know, I know, things, know we want things right now, but sometimes it just comes through patient waiting. comes through trusting. It comes through faithfulness. And, and because of the story, we know it comes from obedience to the Lord, listening to him, doing what he's asked you to do. You know, in, in this story with Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, the, after all the delays, after all the frustrations, as we read the long journey, the the the, the bitterness, the the winter, the the long suffering, the three funerals—not even one yet—the yeah? the gleaning, the harvesting, the seasons—you know, winter, spring, autumn—coming into all of that, and finally the story comes to an end. Finally, the story comes to an end. It's resolved, and it's. A glorious, it's a God conclusion. It really is. Ruth and Boaz get married and their line leads to King David. So for whoever it's for here today, actually, you know what? For every person that's here today, every Christian marriage, every Christian relationship is a witness. Ruth and Boaz are married. God chooses to use this marriage to make sure that the line that runs to Jesus is right and correct. Every relationship, Christian relationship, is a witness for God. Don't underestimate what God wants to do in you and through you. Yeah? As a couple, if you're not a couple yet, you will be. If you were, you know what that's like. Don't underestimate what God wants to do. You know, we can look at this story now, and we know that that the story is significant. We know that because the story itself, from chapter one to chapter four, it's a story. It's like a look back story. It starts, but by the time you get to the end, you've got to realize that the author knew the end. Yeah, the person that was writing it knew the end. And now we know that God was up to something because of that. You know, the connection between marriage and, 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 and parenting is integral to Father's plan. Ruth and Boaz are married and they have a baby and the baby is an awesome blessing. An awesome blessing. You know, this is a story I reckon that we should all rejoice in, personally. That God can work in each and every relationship. So even if you think your relationship you can't work in, even if you feel like you're unequally yoked, God can work in your relationship. Full stop. Because he's God. You know, we have to know that the author of our lives, lives, our lives, knows the conclusion in the same way that, look, the person who wrote this book knew the conclusion. Yeah? Something that was going to take place 100 years later. So when we look at verse 22, we now know that the author is actually looking 100 years. We know that he's looking back 100 years and and he's actually saying, I'm going to show you the start because this is such a marvellous story. This is such a significant story. You you have to know it. And, and, And this has all got to do with God and the way that God works and he keeps to his promises and he fulfills what he says and he does it his way, not your way. And often he does it really slowly. Isn't it funny how God, who has no time, doesn't live in time, does things, instead of it just being like that, often does things, as far as we're concerned, trapped in time really slowly, yeah? And we've got Naomi. Naomi's such an interesting person because she's the key figure in chapter four. And I love the way that she gives parenting advice. And more so, I appreciate the way that Ruth, receives the parenting advice because does anyone here like receiving advice? I don't like receiving parenting advice. I'm right even if I'm wrong. Ask my wife. Yeah. Oh well, I don't like I don't like getting parenting advice. I don't think any of us do. But here's the truth insecure people don't like advice. Insecure people don't like receiving advice, taking it on board. And yet Ruth Obviously wasn't insecure because she was able to take the advice on board. She was able to hear it where insecure people can't. They just can't. And so here we have Ruth takes the advice from Naomi Naomi, and you think about it. Naomi says, what I want you to do, I want you to go down to the field and then eventually I want you to go into follow the guy, follow the guy, stalker, right? Follow the guy, follow him into the shed, see what he's going to do. And then when he lays down to sleep, I want you to get in next to his feet and move his blanket and wow. Hey, Naomi, thank you for the advice, but I've got an app called Israeli t- Tinder and I'm just going to swipe right and get my own husband. Is that cool? Like it had to be easier than doing what Naomi's suggesting and Ruth had no problem accepting her advice. No problem whatsoever. I love the fact that Ruth responds to Naomi and we know that she's already said in the past, I- I'm going to go where you go. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my. You know what? You can't get rid of me. I'm even going to go to church with you. Man, that's not bad. I like that. I, I love that this is a picture of, of generational but intergenerational support happening as we read it. And, 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 and it's support of one another. Now, you and I, we don't always receive advice well. That's true. So we have to be wise when we receive advice because secure people want to receive wisdom. I often share that... When I make a decision, my counsel comes, or my wisdom comes in the counsel of many. Because sometimes I don't have my own wisdom, but as I listen to others, as I receive advice from others, God then paints a picture for me, yeah? Experience, on the other hand, we often say we learn from experience, but that's probably another way of saying we learn from making a whole bunch of mistakes. True? Yeah? And learning from wisdom is not having to make all those mistakes, but hearing from the mistakes that others have made and then we can receive the wisdom on what not to do, yeah? Don't we do that? Sometimes advice is actually really well received. So as a family, in our homes, kids, parents, grandparents, when it comes to speaking to each other, all of us need to be teachable. In this house, all of us need to be teachable, all of us. Even the pastor, even the leaders, all of us need to be teachable. It's brilliant the way all of this comes together eventually. You know, the beauty of an autumn season is the fruit, really, if you're asking me. And like the beauty of autumn, if we can do family right, the beauty is the fruit that comes from family. Ever been envious of another family in the way you watch them interact with each other? You see the fruit because they've just learnt how to do life? I love that. And this story shows what God does through Christian marriage. Christian marriage, particularly when it comes to this book, this is a picture of family at home. And then you have a look at this generational ministry, this intergenerational ministry, one to another. That's how we do family here with each other you know, receiving good advice. You think about it. We celebrate, whether it's someone young or whether it's someone old, don't we celebrate their baptism? Whether we have, and I'm not picking on them, but whether we have a a Ross Morgan leading worship or we have an Imogen or even, better still, younger again, a Samuel leading worship, we celebrate them all the same, don't we? Because there's intergenerational support in the house. It has to be the same. Just because someone's younger or someone's older doesn't mean that they don't have wisdom to share. Yeah? We all have wisdom to share. That's why for me, friendship groups, I love coming to friendship groups because when people say, oh you know, I get nothing from it, apart from wanting to slap them, and you know now that I like doing that, well in my dreams anyway, I pick I picture it often, let me tell you. Bang. Right? Apart from that It's because we've all got something to give, because we all have a life lived. We all have experiences. We've all made mistakes, so we can share them with people, and as a family, we can actually grow together. Is that all right? Like this is actually biblical stuff. I'm not just making it up to build a church the way that the the leadership wants it. We're actually building a church based off the way God wants it. Amen? Amen? Good things done in this life bear fruit for all eternity. Good things done in this life bear fruit for all eternity. Now, the author of the book of Ruth reminds us that in, in the, the pattern of their writing, they're looking back 100 years. They're showing us it was bitter, it was winter, it was terrible. But look now. Look now what God's done 100 years later. You know, The author at the time probably couldn't comprehend what was going to happen 1,000 years later in the same place. Think about it. 1,000 years later, David would be watching sheep in the Bethlehem hills. Yeah, in those, those planes. Then a, a thousand years later, not only are the shepherds keeping watch, but all glory to God, baby Jesus is born. God's purposes are amazing and they come to fulfillment. <laughs> eventually. Whatever you're waiting for, eventually. Whatever's frustrating you, eventually. Eventually, I'm sorry, it's just God. I don't know why he works like that. I hate the idea of the 11th hour. I love the fact that he comes through the 11th hour. I hate the fact that he waits to the 11th hour. What's wrong with the second hour? The third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. What's wrong with the first hour? But no, eventually... The prophecies took a long time to be fulfilled, hundreds and hundreds of years. And sometimes we can feel like I'm just trying to do the right thing. I'm just waiting for my autumn season. I'm just waiting for fruit to come. Sometimes we can feel like we're almost in stalemate because we're trapped in a place and we're just waiting for God to do something. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, come on. I, I know I like to get some interaction, but because you know, otherwise I'm listening to my own voice and I know that I'm speaking for more than one person here. Sometimes I feel like we're just waiting. But I want, to, I want to say this. Fruit will come. Fruit will come. The good things done in your life will bear fruit for an eternity. Fruit will come. This isn't the prosperity gospel. It's just biblical truth. Yeah. If you invest in the kingdom of God, it will produce lasting fruit. Yeah. Simply. You know, I sometimes feel like when we get to heaven, we're going to see some sort of mighty cedar trees and oak trees or some sort of, you know, fruit trees that are bearing fruit that we had no idea were growing because of the good that you and I have done. Yeah? That's why I appreciate verse 22. Verse 22 says all of that. All of that. In those, what, eight words? Were they? Where are they? Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Ten. It says all that. Wow. But one of the things we need to learn as a family is that we have to be patient. Everyone loves being patient, not (laughs) a-patient. No one likes being a-patient. Depends. Well, no, no, none of us like being a-patient. Well, we've got to be patient. Because in the first... Ten verses. I won't read them, but there's this patient agreement. It's it's kind of a different picture because this is where Boaz just wants to be clear on what the deal is, and I think maybe so that no one else will later. Come back and say, hey, 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 that's not your land, that should have been mine. Hey, hey, she's, she shouldn't be your wife, she should be mine. I, I think he's just wanting to make things clear so that no one could ever come back and say, this isn't legitimate. That's what I think is happening in the first 10 verses. We get to the ver- verses 9 and 10, because now this is where he really wants people to know, hey, listen... This is where I'm heading. This is my heart's intent. This is what I want to do. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his people, from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. That is spoken out so very clearly, isn't it? Today, You are my witnesses. When parents dedicate their children here for those that have actually done that, um, for those that are waiting to do that, but generally we, we, we don't baptise children because for us, the Bible talks about with baptism, you actually repent of your life without Jesus and step into a new life with him. So a child, baby child can't do that. They can't make that decision. So we, we dedicate our kids. So parents come, they dedicate their kids, and who do they do it in front of? their friends, and their family, don't they? It's their way of saying, this is legit. We want you to know that we are going to raise our kids in the ways of God. You with me? Everyone heard that? Yep, yep. And we even get, in this church, we get people to say, will you do this with them? Will you partner with them? And people go, yes, we will. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know? They're making it legitimate. And, And this, for me... Around those holy promises, it's the same. It's saying, hey, we've got witnesses here today. This is what Boaz is doing in front of the whole town. He wants everyone to know that this is a legit marriage. It's no different to those of us that have been married. When I got married to Mel, Mel and I got married. We did it in front of family and friends, and we exchanged our vows. And I said, "Yes, I, Andrew, take you, Melanie, and Mel." Yes, I, Melanie, take you, Andrew. We were we were telling everyone, and I was making it very clear to those who may have been interested, she's mine. This is legit now. You had your chance. But now in front of all my witnesses, I take her off the table and she's mine. Isn't that what we're doing when we get married? We're making it very clear to everyone else, the two of us up here, this is a no-go zone. We're now one. Yeah, This is a legit marriage. So hey, you may have had an opportunity in the past, but you missed it, you blew it, Bad luck, now we're stepping into all that God has for us. And I think this is what Boaz is doing with Ruth right here. He's making sure that no one else can make a claim. You know, and this, is, this is actually a principle in relationship when it comes to one another. Listen what it says in, in, in the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, he must be turning in his grave every time a church splits, right? But that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Why would Paul say, say that if it wasn't possible for us to be united? in heart and mind, or as scripture says, in mind and thought, to think the same. He would never say that if it wasn't possible. So in front of all of us here, for those watching at home, it's possible for a church family, yeah, to actually, actually agree with one another. It's actually possible in what we say. It's actually possible that we be perfectly united in mind and thought. That, that's mind-boggling, isn't it? Because that one there, that just doesn't fit in with the scenario of today in the world, does it? You know, one of the things that I enjoy when it comes to our leadership here at, at Family Life Church, our board and elders, is that I believe over the years we've influenced each other. We've in- influenced the way that we've thought, you know. And, and I, I would go as far as to say, R- Rob's probably been on the board the longest amongst them all. I, I would suggest that I, I kind of know what Rob, Rob's thinking and what Rob's going to say. And I imagine that Rob probably knows what I'm going to say and where I might push back or where I'll be in agreement. So I reckon that he might know that too. And the truth is we don't always get it exactly right, but we find ourselves forming these thoughts that, that I believe are for the glory of God. Yeah? We can be united in mind and thought. We can be. If you don't like that scripture, as I've said in the past buy a paper Bible read about that page. Never look at an electronic one again because it'll exist there, but it won't exist in yours. Yeah? <laughs> I love it. What a wonderful scripture. And then verse 11 says, Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. There was joy in the unity. Yes, we're going to witness with you. That's cool that you guys are getting married. That's cool that you're dedicating your kids. That's awesome that you're getting baptised. We are your witnesses. This is awesome. We are going to... There's joy. There's joy. There's nothing worse than going to a church anywhere that feels like people have been sucking lemons, not for a day, but for like weeks. And then they walk into the house of God and go, We love Jesus. These guys, these witnesses, this joy, excitement that someone's making a decision for Jesus, that someone's stepping out in faith. Maybe one of the exercises we should have apart from our daily devotions is standing in front of the mirror and practising smiling. <laughs> hey? All right. Some of you might go, got to go to the dentist. <laughs> Haven't seen those teeth for years. You know, there's genuine blessing. There's joy in the passage, you know. You get to the end of verse 11 and it says, May the Lord make the woman, the, the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Well, this is a phenomenal blessing that's being spoken. Who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah, however you pronounce that place, it actually means Fruit. It means fruit. May you have fruit and be famous in Bethlehem. So may there be fruit in Ephrata, and may you be famous. God's word is so true that a thousand years, eleven hundred years later, Bethlehem became famous, and it's still famous today. People still visit Bethlehem today. People still pilgrimage to Bethlehem today. God's word, good to keep His word. So God didn't just fulfil that blessing, but he did it in the middle of that ordinary family. God was up to something in that ordinary marriage. And so for those of us that are ordinary, in ordinary relationships, God can do something extraordinary. And if you can't see that in the word, come on. God's given us the word to inspire us to know what he has for us. Man, that ordinary family and fame comes to Bethlehem and angels are singing and Jesus was foretold and Jesus was born, amen, from an ordinary family. I wonder what our offspring, what our legacy will be to the kingdom of God. Because all our good deeds will bear fruit for eternity if we're investing in the kingdom of God. You know, the autumn fruit... For those who feel stuck, the autumn fruit is worth waiting for. The autumn fruit is worth waiting for. You know, listen, that verse 14 says, the woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. The autumn fruit's worth waiting for. You know, there's this joyful consummation. You know, verse 13, I'm going to jump from 14 now back to 13, but is a really good verse, and I read it out loud. I'll do it one more time. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed. I don't want anyone to blush, right? But, hey, the Bible talks about sex. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. I almost need, like, music in the background, don't you? You know? And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to his son. And the music just plays and the bet candles burning, you know. I want us to notice the right order for this family. I want us to notice the right order for us to be able to change family in our homes but also in the houses of God, yeah? Because the last 40, 50 years, not just in this country, but around the world, there's been a movement that says, we don't want to do it this way. We don't want to do it your way. In fact, we're free to do whatever we want, when we want, and so we're going to do whatever we want, when we want it. But, but how's that turning out for us today when you look at the world? How's, how's that worked out for us when you look at things around us? Because when I read this, the only way for there to be a a change in family, I think the order needs to be the same. And it starts with a holy courtship. That means no trying before you're buying. Yeah? Anyone get that? If not, Google it, you'll work it out. Right? Don't try before you buy. Then there's this holy legality. Then there's this holy intimacy. And then there's this dad joke, holy moly, baby boy. Yeah? So let's break it down for those of us that only speak English and we'll make it simpler for all of us to understand. We have to be patient in our family, at home and here. We've got to be patient. And not only that, then we've got to understand that there's a marriage. There's a covenant agreement between people in their homes and there's a covenant agreement between us and the Lord and us and each other when you walk into a church family. Yeah? And then there's intimacy. As they're intimate in their homes, we become intimate with the Lord, but also you start to grow in relationship with each other because you trust people. You're not there to hear gossip, and people start to share intimately what they're going through so people can step close to them and carry their burdens and pray for them, yeah? And actually help them through a season. And then in their homes, they have a baby. In a house that's healthy, you have children. What have we had running around all day today? Children. What happens in some places? There's a mother's room. Can you take them in there? Now, if you've got a thousand kids, I understand. (laughs) I understand. But Outside of having a thousand kids, hey, you know, kids make noise. At home, when our kids are making noise, we turn the volume up louder. Here, the kids making noise during worship, we can, make this, we can make the music louder. And I can project over any child's voice, any crying with or without a mic, trust me. Yeah? Ask my wife, she still lives with PTSD because I can do that really well. We'll all be blessed if we can follow a simple plan. You know, and, and if we do that, then there's this lasting celebration. Because verse 16 says that then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. She's the grandparent. Naomi's the actual grandparent. And it feels like she ends up with the child. But now that I'm a grandparent, how good is it to be a grandparent? How good is it to actually share in the joy of your kids and, and their child? Yeah, and then some families actually get to be great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents. There's something in that. There's a lasting celebration in the house. How good is it that in this place, even in the 12 years that Mel and I have been here, that we've seen kids grow up into adults in this place? and still serve the Lord and still hungry for God and still have a relationship, there is a lasting celebration in that. And so Boaz gets the girl and the inheritance. Ruth is his bride. Now, I love this. I love it. It's a bit strange that Naomi, because of the day, sort of legally gets the baby, But don't worry because Ruth is still a mum and Ruth does all the hard stuff. But Naomi, like any other grandparent, just does all the nice stuff and then hands the baby back. First Simonine says, the woman woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi has a son. What an interesting phrase. Intergenerational joy is what I'm going to call it. Because it's not hers. It's her daughter-in-laws, but as far as people are concerned, it's her. You know what? It doesn't matter who gets blessed in the house. It doesn't matter how the blessing runs, but it's for each and every one of us. Because if God blesses me or blesses Rob or blesses John, he blesses us right, so that through us he can bless others around us. If he blesses Tom, he blesses Tom. To bless him, yes, but then to bless others around Tom and vice versa. It's a, an intergenerational type of, of, of joy that just starts to move. You know, my pastoral advice and how we can apply all of this to our lives is to know that even though we're in chapter 4, it's not a done deal until it gets to the end. The writer leaves it right to the end. And sometimes you and I, we are so tired of waiting that we've forgotten how to trust God. But we've just got to wait to the end. Wait till the quarter's over. Even yesterday, watching, <laughs> I was trying to watch my Western Bulldogs play, right? And Samuel knows I go in and out of the room because if we're winning, I watch. When we're losing, I walk out because right? I get frustrated I, I do, I get frustrated and I know I will never throw anything in the house because I can't afford to replace the television but the, if I could I probably would but luckily I don't so I don't but the point is I get frustrated so rather than sit there in that frustration I walk out And then, but I'm still listening and as soon as we're winning again I walk back in and I sit down and I watch it with the family again yeah? sometimes we've just got to know that life can be messy and we've got to wait for the quarter to end because in yesterday's game, the Bulldogs were losing and I walked out and within five minutes, there was a goal, there was a goal, there was a goal and then we were winning and so I walked back in. It wasn't over yet. And so whoever you are, it's not over yet. You may be struggling with that, it's not over yet. You've been, oh, I've been here. You don't know how long I've been, no, I don't, but God does, it's not over yet. The good things done in this life, yeah, will bear fruit for an eternity, it's not over yet be encouraged, it'll be resolved and it'll make sense entirely in heaven. There is nothing, nothing that our God can't do. Why don't we stand? And I don't see Imi. so Samuel, can you jump on the keys? Just the keys, I think. You know, the book of Ruth, we're in the fourth quarter, and it seems the way the book's written that Boaz may even lose. You know, he he puts it to this guy, listen, actually, you're the you're the true first up kinsman redeemer, I'm next in line. So if you're right, hey, make make your claim, because the land and the woman that comes with it's yours. The way the book's written, Boaz could lose, but this Mr. No Name. Don't even name who he is. Doesn't even step up to the plate. What a chicken. God wasn't a chicken because he sent his son to step up on a plate, didn't he? He sent his son to be our kinsman redeemer, to redeem us all, that we could have a relationship with him. When the opportunity was there, when no one else could do it, nothing else would work, you know, the devil would have made a claim. Hey, if they're your kids, if this is your people, if you're, you, know, you claim to be the kinsman redeemer, then step up to the plate and make your claim. And God did it. Like God, God did it. God is always working out his purpose. Always. And even when you can't see it, he's still working out his purpose. You know, there are just seasons that we have to persevere through. it teaches us contentment I guess I know one thing this book from Genesis all the way through to maps yeah finishes well it finishes well it finishes well that I can say it is well with my soul you know this story It resolves. But Naomi's name was Pleasant. And then she goes, call me Mara, call me Peter. So she goes from being Pleasant to Miserable. She goes on a long journey. Her husband's dead. Her her boys are dead. One of her daughter-in-laws doesn't even want to follow her. And yet she's obedient and she hears from God that there's bread in the house of bread. There's life, in other words, in the house of God. And so she goes. It didn't feel well with her soul at the time. But it did in the end. So I'm going to ask everyone, close your eyes for a moment. And let the melody of the keys speak to you. And without looking around, just yourself. Ever had a time where it just hasn't felt well with your soul? It's a cycle that we go through sometimes. And and maybe it's because we've left Moab and maybe it needs a step of faith. You know, I heard a story, and just keep your eyes closed, I want you to picture it, an old car with a bench seat. Think of Ross's car, the Parisian, Yeah. And there's the the husband and he's driving. And the wife's all the way on the other side of the bench seat. And she looks over to him and says, why don't we cuddle in the car on the bench seat like we used to when we were first courting, when we first met? And the husband, as he's driving his car, he goes, well, I haven't moved. It's not a picture of a husband and wife, but maybe if it's not well with our soul, the father who drives our car hasn't moved. Maybe we've just slid along the bench seat a little bit. Maybe today we just need to slide back just a touch, get closer to him again just a little bit so that in those seasons of frustration we can say, you know what, it's not over yet, but I know that all things will be complete. I can actually trust him. It's time to make it well with our soul. So if that's you today, no altar call, you and God, if you need to make it well with your soul, just between you and Father, then I'm going to ask you just to raise your hands to him. You don't have to raise them high, just to him. And let him know, I'm sliding back along that big seat, God. This season's been tough, but I'm just going to shimmy up next to you. I know that in your presence there's fullness of joy. And I know that your joy is my strength. I want my soul to be right with you. Father, every hand, God, that went up, Lord, every heart that cried out, yes, I want to be well with you, God. I want to be well in my soul. Father, this day, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and mend and heal and fill. Lord, where there are cracks, God, that you would make Lord, solid, binding walls again. Lord, that where there's brokenness, Father, that you would bring healing and contentment in your presence. And God, where our dreams are incomplete, Father, where the season feels like we're still trapped in winter, Lord, help us to trust you. Because God, I know Father, that you write well. And God, I know that you know the end. And I know that you finish all that you start. So, yeah, Holy Spirit, come and rest on us. thank you, God, for your presence in this house. I thank you for the hearts that you're mending and restoring, Father. I thank you for the hearts that you're strengthening. I thank you for the family that you're forging. I thank you for the people that you're reuniting. And I thank you, Father, that you can take ordinary old us and do something so extraordinary that our legacy will lead people to Jesus. And we give you all the glory this day in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.